What does it take to create a world-class collection? A good eye, a forward thinker, or just being in the right place at the right time? Welcome to Uncollecting, a Monocle Radio production for Sotheby's where I, Chiara Rimella, will lead you through some of the world's most exciting collections in art, fashion, furniture and beyond that have defined eras and informed the cultural canon. In this episode, we're taking a look at the collection of the late Chara Shraya. It was unbelievable the way that she lived amongst these objects. Throughout her life, the German-born, California-raised philanthropist and patron of the arts amassed a body of over 600 works by some of the most significant modern artists. She also acquired various residences by pivotal 20th-century architects and she collaborated with the interior designer Gary Hutton, who we'll be hearing from later, to create environments within these houses for the art to live in. They both had an interest in art and design that was revolutionary and subversive. Or, as she put it, I've always wanted to collect works by artists that changed the course of art history. And that she certainly did. In an upcoming sale by Sotheby's titled Art House, the collection of Chara Schreier, you can see how Schreier had an eye for the most important names in art. So let's delve into this collection a little further. The mega list of names up for sale reads like a who's who of contemporary art, featuring artists such as Giorgio O'Keefe, Marcel Duchamp and Andy Warhol. To tell us more about this impressive catalogue, I'm joined by two of Sotheby's New York team, Kelsey Leonard, Head of Contemporary Evening Auction, and Kathleen Hart, Head of Session Contemporary Day Auction. Kelsey, Kathleen, really, this is quite an impressive sale. I guess the first question that comes to mind is, what does this catalogue tell us about what Chara was like as a collector? I think what made her an exceptional collector was that she was very individualistic with her vision, unlike her peers at the time. You know, most people were collecting abstract expressionist giants. Chara instead said was going was really radical, conceptual, minimalist artworks. She was looking at things like Lee Bontecu. And I think her vision is what really tied together architecture, interior design, and of course, art in a really compelling and unique way. Yeah, I think she had an eye not only for the artists that have changed art history, but the artists of her time who would and will change art history and really shape it. And that's um, not something you can say of every collector. This collection is extraordinary for having not one, but two really fabulous books written about it. Um, one is Art House, the very well-known interior design and art book. And the second is Making Strange, um, which was published by Douglas Fogel in 2021. And that's the other thing that makes this collection sort of is the uniting thread. Um, Chara was drawn to Art's ability to, as she termed it, make strange, um, to sort of take the world around you and make you reconsider it by making the strange familiar and the familiar strange. One thing that you mentioned earlier is this connection between art and design. And I think that's something that really shines as one of the main aspects of Chara's way of collecting, that everything she actually lived with. What do you think collecting with a view to living with art does to somebody's decisions when it comes to acquiring works? The house itself were living sculptures. Yeah. When she purchased the Los Angeles home, she purchased it with the envisioning of installing the Judd stack. So the art itself informed the space and renovations were made surrounding it for that very reason. Yeah. I mean, I think the term art house is such a like a simple one at surface level, but when you step back, 
these houses are art and it's incredible. She built them as these collaborations with another sort of designer artist. It was unbelievable the way that she lived amongst these objects. Obviously, she had a huge amount of knowledge about art history as well. She had studied art. How do you think that influenced her collecting? And I guess in general, do you think that studying art can help collectors go a step further in their activities? Oh, without a doubt, right? She had an incredible pressing eye for quality. And I think that she was studying, you know, 1960s, 70s conceptualism and non-traditional material. Also pieces, as you mentioned, which were a little radical, sexually charged. (laughs) And she's really addressing the central concern, which is art and seeking to push boundaries. I think the Man Ray in particular is a really interesting example. It's a bust of the Venus Medici. Man Ray loaned this object for a traveling exhibition and it was damaged in 1972. So you can see that it looks like there's a chunk from the the shoulder missing. And, you know, the museum called Man Ray and said, I'm so sorry, we've damaged this important sculpture. And he said, not a problem. This is (laughs) going to be a unique variant. And I think that There's incredible fetishization of the female form. Also the fact that plaster is such a technical and important medium for molds within sculpture. It's basically remaking the idealized female form and transforming sexuality and empowerment in a very interesting way. And the fact that Chara selected this in conjunction with other female artists is incredibly interesting. And this collection has absolutely educated me in so many ways. And, you know, ultimately to, to know which artists reshaped art history or broke the rules, you have to know the rules. And I think Chara was so educated that it allowed her to understand who mattered, you know, before many other collectors of her time. I would love for you to pick some of your favourite lots. We've spoken about a few examples already, but there is so much in this catalogue. It's very hard to pick just a few, but would you do the honours? The sort of star in many ways is the Frank Stella Honduras Lottery Co. from 1962. This is from essentially a suite of six concentric squares the artist painted in 62 that really mark the beginning of his larger concentric square series, but also all the series that came off of that. And it really is a masterpiece sort of beyond Stella himself. It's a masterpiece of American post-war painting and um, was the cover of Art House, so it's a very well-known painting, but it's just so special and the kind of thing that comes to auction twice a century. I don't know, like something, you know, rarity beyond rarity. Um, So that one's very, very special to me. And from the day cell perspective, everything is so incredible. But I would say my favorites, a few of my favorites, one in particular is the Sigmar Polka from 1987. This is a really interesting work because Polka actually stopped painting in the 60s and 70s and was working on film and photography. And he came back to painting in the 80s with incredible fervor. And he introduced new medium like acrylic and lacquer and resin in a very radical way. And it's also the year after the incredible crisis and terrible crisis in Chernobyl and Ukraine. So his way to use material in a very interesting way as a conduit to social and political consciousness makes Polka one of the most technically gifted artists of his generation. Another work is the Jacqueline Humphreys. I think she is one of the most talented artists of her generation, which is really about synthetic abstraction and then engagement of the surface and discussing the digital age. Here she uses oil on canvas, but it creates almost um, a refracted and digital lens and engagement of the surface. It's one of the strongest examples, I think, to ever come to market. And so we're incredibly excited to see how this performs. 
And I think it's so cool you bring up both Humphreys and Polka who are doing something so similar decades apart. You know, Polka, who's looking at, is it's a very self-referential artwork. He's sort of mocking Lichtenstein's Bende. He's mocking Abex. He's mocking Dubuffet in this work. And then Humphreys is kind of taking that that precedent and she's like, you know, using the digital age in conjunction with abstraction to create this very self-referential version of abstraction. And, you know, I think Charles was able to look beyond traditional categories and see artists doing something decades apart and hang them together. I think those were like uh, around the corner essentially from each other in the Tiburon house. And those kind of dialogues are endlessly exciting within this collection. As we've established, Charles Schreier's collection is outstanding simply on the merits of the works it contains. But to fully appreciate the story behind it, you have to understand how the collection has been integrated into Schreier's life and home. Here's Monocle's New York radio correspondent, Henry Rees Sheridan. In the mid-1960s, Chara Schreier was a student at the University of California, Berkeley. She was assigned to write a paper on a 1905 Matisse painting, Femme au Chapeau. The painting was in the San Francisco Museum of Modern Art, and Schreier made the trip to see it in person. For Schreier, her encounter with the painting that day marks the beginning of her understanding of art. She had arrived at Berkeley in 1965, when the university was a countercultural hotbed. Frequent protests by students in favour of the civil rights movement and against the Vietnam War made national news. Schreier's parents, immigrants from Germany, were concerned about her getting caught up in the tumult. If we see you on TV, they told her, you're coming home. But they didn't need to worry. She would go to bed at 8pm to wake up at 5 the next morning and start studying in the architecture library. From her encounter with Femme au Chapeau onwards, Schreier's interests lay more in the radical ideas embedded in visual art than in campus activism. Schreier had been born in post-war Bavaria. Her family, Jewish survivors of the Holocaust, immigrated to Los Angeles when she was five. Her father ran a successful real estate business. Her mother was emotionally frail from her experiences during the war, but nonetheless encouraged Chara and her sister to be ambitious and avoid falling into conventional female roles. Emboldened by her upbringing and inspired by art, Schreier went on to earn a graduate degree in art history from Berkeley. She wrote her master's thesis on Marcel Duchamp and Joseph Cornell's artistic collaboration. A decade after graduating, Schreier herself would enter into a collaborative partnership that would come to shape her life and the broader world of art. In the late 1970s, Schreier and her then-husband were building a home in Sonoma in Northern California. One day in 1978, she walked into a new San Francisco restaurant called Today's. Struck by the quality of the restaurant's interiors, Schreier asked for the name of the designer and was told it was Gary Hutton. Hutton was a 28-year-old with degrees in fine art and environmental design. Schreier invited him to the house she was building, and the duo discovered a shared taste in art. Schreier knew she had found the right person to design the interiors of her home, and the Schreier house built by architecture firm Jennings & Stout, would be the 28-year-old Hutton's first residential commission. 
From the beginning, it was clear that the house would be meticulously designed around Schreier's expanding art collection. Hutton spent a year and a half drawing and redrawing patterns for a floor based on the paintings of Vasily Kandinsky. Schreier and Hutton would ultimately work together on the interiors of five California homes, each of them integrating works from Schreier's art collection. Schreier had begun collecting seriously in the 1970s by acquiring American modernist artists like Georgia O'Keeffe, Joseph Stella and Stuart Davis. In the 1990s, she began to build up a collection of some of the most significant works of post-war conceptualism, starting with Marcel Duchamp, who Schreier considered to be the figurehead of her collection. By collecting the art that spoke to her personally and integrating it into her homes, Schreier created an idiosyncratic dialogue between the works stranger and richer than that imparted by most museum settings. And just because the artworks were in her residences doesn't mean that they were kept behind closed doors. Schreier welcomed over 200 tours for various university groups, museum boards and cultural institutions at her homes. Schreier rarely deaccessioned a piece or consigned any to storage. In an age when too many collectors view art primarily as a financial investment, Chara Schreier's life and work shows us an approach to collecting that honours the creative energy behind the works themselves. Well, now I'm really happy to be joined by the interior designer Gary Hutton to learn firsthand about his incredible partnership with Chara Schreier. Gary, welcome. Thank you very much. This is a, a pleasure indeed. I really can't wait to dive into this incredible partnership that you had. I guess the first thing that comes to mind is, please, can you tell us how genuinely collaborative this process was with Chara over the years? Golly, we worked together 42 years. And over time, you develop a shorthand. You know, she would say, oh, I just bought this and house and I need to do whatever. What do you think? And then you know, I would come back to her with some ideas or some sketches or something like that. And she would comment and she never held back. That's for sure. <laughs> but it was one of the things that I really appreciated about her was she was always very direct and you always knew where you stood. And she would say, oh, that's so stupid, sweetie. I'm not going to go. You know? <laughs> Is the best relationship with art where you live with the art itself? Well, you know, I think the, the answer to that question is in some ways dependent on what the art is. I think it's situational as well as image-driven or concept-driven. We it, at, Also at the Four Seasons, the, the main corner was not a 90-degree corner. It was about 120 degrees, and it was very difficult to try to uh, make sense of that space along with the pieces that she wanted to go in there. So we took the basic grid and then stretched it so that as it came away from the corner, the grid got bigger and there were more parallelograms. And so that was a place that we were able to put the Richard Archfogger because, you know, it, the exclamation point, the ball sat on a pedestal, but the, the line was suspended from the ceiling and at 25 floors, the building moves. And so you would see the thing move, but you didn't feel it. And so that created a kind of tension on some level that then supported that. I think that that worked pretty well. How do all these projects fit within your wider practice? Do you feel like they hold a special place in your heart and in your career? 
Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. You know, I mean, I've been really blessed to have many long, long-term clients, but Tara being the certainly the longest. And I work for a lot of collectors in general, but collectors of various kinds of things from art glass to ceramics to, you know, and every one of those requires, I wouldn't say a different approach, but a, a slightly different thought process. But the underlying principle is the same. You want to create a background that supports the collections, whatever those are, and then to try to figure out what it is that is going to support that. And the wonderful thing about my long relationship with Chara was that she was always willing to at least listen to a crazy idea. She may say no, but she was always willing to listen and give it some thought. And she, you know, sometimes it, it was immediate, like, no way. And other times it was like, I'm going to have to think about that. Uh, you know, one of the things that, that we did for her in the media room in Los Angeles, we wanted to soundproof the room so that her grandchildren could come and play video games and they wouldn't disturb her. And so one of the things that we did was we had a company make a series of scrub brush panels, custom scrub scrub brushes, about two feet square, and the entire room was covered with black bristle brushes. And it really worked. Technically, it, it deadened the sound to within, you know, like a couple of decibels less than a recording studio. So the grandsons could come and play their video games full tilt, and she could be in her office and never hear them. How important do you think it is for a designer to have such a nourishing and long-lasting long relationship with a client? For me, there isn't really any other way. You know, even with a, a client that's a single project, you know, it, you have to understand them. You have to try to get into their head and working with Char, because each of the houses was a very different kind of thing, in some ways to hold a different type of art. And so I really valued each of those because that was a learning experience for me that I could then apply to some other project that came along. So she astutely said last year, well, sweetie, you know, we really grew up together, which is really sweet. It was really sweet. And I think in a way we did. Art House, the collection of Charles Schreier auction sales begin on Wednesday, the 15th of November. Head to Sotheby's.com for more information. On Collecting is a Monocle Radio production for Sotheby's, produced by Holly Fisher and presented by me, Chiara Rimella. Join us next time when we'll be introduced to more groundbreaking collections and the extraordinary people who put them together. <laughs>